0: Pierre Pressure Podcast. This is a show where I, Pierre, interview musicians, songwriters, singers, instrumentalists, producers, composers, people who make music, and we talk about music and also about politics. My goal with this podcast is to try to find the connections between those two worlds. Why, you ask? Because those are two things that I really am obsessed with and enjoy and like to talk about. So for me, this is my version of sports radio. I interview people who are really knowledgeable about music, maybe not so knowledgeable about politics, but I feel like life is politics, art is politics, and they all go together. So that's the point of this podcast. And I also get to talk to some really talented people. On the show today is Christian Gibbs also known as C Gibbs he's a really good friend of mine I've known him for many many years we've played together over the years in various projects I was in his band morning glories for a while and also in his solo project C Gibbs group which also went by a bunch of other names he had a brief stint early in his life in the band modern English he then went on to form morning glories and had a very long and storied career as a solo performer, which he continues to do under lots of different names, including Lucinda Blackbear, Cardia Brothers, Motherwell Johnson. He arrived by helicopter. He was also briefly in the touring band for Fetus, and he was part of the Broadway show Passing Strange. So he's done a ton of stuff and he continues to do really interesting stuff. We had a really fun time sitting and playing. Music together and talking. We had, we had our guitars in our hands, so you'll hear a little tinkling. And it was just great to catch up with C and see how C sees the world. I hope you enjoy it. I'm talking to Christian Gibbs, also known as C.
1: Gibbs. Good afternoon, Brooklyn.
0: Hello, Brooklyn. We're in Brooklyn, so we're going to hear some... Sirens. Sirens, the sounds of the city. So, um, man...
1: If we were upstate we'd be hearing chainsaws instead of sirens, maybe some gunshots gunshots here we, in my town maybe we'd hear some gunshots gunshots in both the country and the city, but different
0: kinds of guns. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At, in our town there's they're shooting um I don't know squirrels and targets and bears here I don't know what they're shooting. Do you hear gunshots around here Brooklyn not really anymore
1: no yeah, you definitely hear them you got sometimes it's not it's, it's not like it used to be like ten years ago, but um Andy has had to run away from a from the gunshot thing yeah same with chelsea
0: my wife she she saw a shooting yeah one time yeah it's the dirty city man that's why we both have houses upstate that's how you get the cheap rent and that's true you got to be near where where the gunshots are yeah and i guess if you're upstate you get it's more expensive the more gunshots you hear maybe because it means there's more forests around i don't know who knows anyway so um i want to go back into your history the history of c um um, i mean i know you grew up in san diego but i don't can you tell me like what your first guitar playing situation like how you got into playing guitar or did you learn piano first well you're a piano player too
1: we always had a piano in the house like a grand piano so i always tinkered with the piano i really loved elton john when i was like a super young kid, I love that song Daniel, you know, and I always try to figure out Elton John and Gees songs, and probably Helen Reddy and Aluvian and John, and, you know. Wow. The other artists that everyone grew up with, like, of course, the Beatles and stuff like that, but <clears throat> that's what I remember vividly uh, what my parents listened to. You know, it was, like, the 70s, so my mom was really into uh, Saturday Night Fever, and but yeah, the piano was more readily at hand, so I played that. And then my dad played classical guitar, so um, I always stole his really expensive classical guitars and would take them to the beach with me. And he'd find out because he'd see sand on them. And, really? But yeah. How old were you when you started playing? Well, I don't know, man. I I know the piano was just like at a young age, like five, and not not like my piano skills now would exhibit that um I had been playing piano since five so I don't want to give that impression but tinkering on the piano hell of a lot you know.
0: better than I can do. <laughs> Did but, you take lessons?
1: Yeah, when we got older we he the the parents gave lessons to like all of us and some of us gravitated a little bit more to it. And but you know, it was always kinda like we'd take lessons for a month and then not see the guy for two months and then hire some different piano teacher guy for maybe two weeks it wasn't like a consistent thing it was just once in a while you know take some lessons and stop
0: right so i want to kind of go backwards in this on this one and like start with the songs the song that you played like the first song that you played you played ct back roads yeah and uh that's one of the songs you picked for that has some kind of political uh, significance for you um and um I would love you to talk about it a little bit. When did you write that? Well,
1: that song is... I probably wrote that... I Where have to look noise? at the record to see when it... Wait, that's one a one. garbage truck outside, I think. Or maybe one of the restaurants, you know. All two, right, so Jamaican we'll just hang out with downstairs. that. We'll just,
0: we'll just enjoy that. All right, so sorry. Going back to CT Backroads.
1: That, rec- that song uh, probably six years ago five years ago um, I like that song because it's it's not so much a political song but a commentary on like you know classes I guess and and I that song stemmed directly from an experience of being kind of like looked down upon you know like because I was the help or the, the hired help you know what I mean and it, what were you the hired help it was help kind of a new musician? experience for me like like because I didn't grow up that way, obviously. So where,
0: where you were in Connecticut, yeah, and you were the hired help,
1: meaning what you were playing somewhere. No, like, I was it? like because I I had a trucking oh right business, so I was delivering yeah. like a painting or or some piece of furniture, right? And, and it just the kind of snobbery associated, like right. like oh yeah, go put that there. And I remember asking to use the bathroom, and them kind of being like hesitant. Wow. And then on the same trip, I'd be like driving my truck and I'd see you know the college students doing their their rowing what do you call that Uh, oh um rowing right yeah row I guess yeah there's some fancy like out
0: on the out on the river like doing rowing
1: or whatever yeah and it just like the the, it just seemed like a I was like oh my god now I've reached I guess I'm on this side of things you know what I mean like this woman sees you as the help yeah which is fine I mean and I, it's not the first time I've obviously been looked at as help, but there was just like this, kind of like, you know, like, oh really? I got to let you use my bathroom? I got to let right. you into my house? You're my not. Bathroom? You're a little less than. somehow yeah. you're less than. So it's not the most political song, but it's just no, a commentary your... on the disparity between, you know, yeah, the uber rich and the the working class. I guess. Which yeah. I guess I've evolved into.
0: Well. So, Well, that's that's a lot, man, because it's like I mean, that's a lot to unpack because I think, you know, in my day job, like uh, I sometimes get treated like the help, like I'm invisible or like I'm a piece of shit. And then on the next day, exact same situation, you get, you know, invited into people's, you know, invited to eat, invited to drink their wine, whatever people. It's really bizarre how some people treat you some way. I feel like it's not just you can't really peg what what makes people feel the need to dehumanize others to feel better about themselves. I think it's insecurity.
1: Yeah. Right? And she didn't like call me any names or right. it was just a subtle feeling. And I was, I was, it kind of, I was like, man, if I'm feeling this tiny bit, I have no idea what people who really feel it and grew up with it. Right. Feel like it or, or, you know,
0: well, it's interesting because you grew up in Southern California Yeah, I grew and up. I did too. And like there were Mexican people around that were generally considered, you know, a different class, they were a lot of, in my at least in my experience, a lot of um, Mexican people were around, kind of doing manual labor, doing gardening, doing whatever, and it was like this education, this sort of like racist education that you had no idea was going on. I don't know about you, but that was my experience. I had to unlearn it.
1: As yeah, I yeah. Grew yeah. Up. Well, I mean, I had a slightly different experience because my dad and mom both spoke fluent Spanish, so mm-hmm. they would argue in Spanish in front of us, and and um, I had a a Mexican nanny mm-hmm. and I, and my parents would let her take me to Tijuana and stay with her family for like the weekends you know so I that's I kinda, amazing I didn't know that so I, to me she was did you sp- learn Spanish she was like an awesome age? she was like an awesome older sister or yeah and I actually like hanging out with her her kids and Tijuana and like going down there and obviously it it was different but it, it exposed me to learn a little bit of Spanish and um but yeah I mean I mean, I have to
0: qualify what I just said. Like, I came from France, and I was—I didn't speak English when I got to the States. So we kind of slid into this world where we were the other, just like the Mexicans. You know what I mean? And people yeah, yeah. thought my dad was Mexican because he didn't speak English, and he was really tan. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> so I don't want to sound like I was one of these, you know, no, no, privileged I, I kids you,
1: yeah. who, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to front. I grew up in a very privileged yeah. way. I don't want to front to anyone. Yeah. You know, we had a swimming pool, and... <clears throat> And you know, my dad had a good job, and so everything was peachy keen in that and that in that area of you know Southern California is a very hedonistic place. And you were in San Diego. Yeah, San Diego, and you know, I, we grew up by a golf course, and um, but the disparity between you know races then and and w- um, our school is predominantly, I'd say, you know, white, and then the next, and then it was. Hispanic and Filipino, and, right. and but there weren't a whole lot of African-Americans in the demographic of the school I went to. Right. Hold
0: on a second. It's an oil truck. It's an oil truck that's uh, filling up, I don't know, filling up the heating oil downstairs, so that's the beautiful background noise that we're hearing.
1: I know. So I recorded this room, too. you play some
0: oil truck music?
1: Oil truck, please leave, but
2: not till after you gave me my oil.
0: Beautiful, that was amazing. <laughs> you're so talented. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So yes. you're so you're growing up in San Diego, and, and you said, you mentioned Filipino people, and I feel like I remember you saying like there was some you had a band with some dudes who were Filipino, like brothers or something. Yeah, yeah. What was, was that first band called? Me
1: and the Bellarmino Brothers. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And their brother, it was Romeo, Ron, and um, Roy, and all three of them. Well, Ron three was dudes. the manager. He was the older brother, yes. so he managed us. And then Roy is a drummer. And was awesome that your first drummer, band, Skater Kid? And um, yeah, that was my first what band. What was that called? Well, first we were called like the Sheltered Generation. Okay. <laughs> we like we played mod music. We thought we were mods, even though we were like surfer dudes in San yeah. Diego, but we went to all the mod shows and. You know, I never got to have a Vespa, but I would ride under the, the back of other people's Vespas. Did and... the
0: Bellarmino brothers have a Vespa?
1: Um, they did, I think. Nice. I yeah. Rad. Their, their parents always bought them really cool cars. They had BMWs. and Okay. And anyway, so that was the first band. And then we changed the name to The Cry. The Cry. For Chronic Rhythmic Yells. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's amazing. I shouldn't tell you that,
1: what no, the acronym stands only... for. but And then we'd, we'd play... Are kind of um, stomping. That sounds ground. like
0: some kind of Tourette's like affliction. Yeah. <laughs> I have C R Y, man. It's just chronic rhythmic yells <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. What I was wasn't that?
1: really the singer back then. I was just yeah. a guitar player and wrote wrote songs. well we 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 did covers of like Echo and the Bunnymen and The Cure and nice. Yazs and whatever. We would play T One all the time at this place called Club London, and that was kind of how we learned how to play music. It was Oh, Mexico. you would go down
0: to Tijuana and play.
1: Yeah, that's where we played. Oh, nice. They would pay us pretty good. You know, like the yeah. same amount of money I get paid now to play some of these New York City clubs. Right. That Going are- down
0: to TJ and it's crazy. Like when I went to college in San Diego, you could uh, most kids just went down to Tijuana for for entertainment because it was close and you didn't. There was like no drinking age, right? You could basically get away with whatever. Yeah, there. you would get a fake
1: ID at yeah. downtown San Diego when you're 16 and said you're 18. Right, but you know the, you'd always get thrown in jail once in a while. Yeah, like my brother got thrown in jail and he was gone for three days and we had a. It was risky. It took us three days to get him out. It was crazy, you know. But yeah, it was fun.
0: fun. Yeah. So you guys would go down and play on there at Club London, play your
1: Club London,
0: play your uh, play your sophisticated, uh, like like goth music. What was it? Got any uh, songs in your head quite, from that day, from those days? Wasn't
1: quite goth. Um, Come on, can you dig one out? Oh, you man, got? dude. I don't... <sighs> no, I can't dig one out,
0: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I um, All right, I think the truck is leaving. Oh, my God. Oh sorry, la. listeners, Trucks. for the truck sound. That was part of the Brooklyn reality. Those darn truckers. A little... A little, co- a little color I've, so, been, I've been there I've been a trucker that's right born on a mountain raised in a cave we just talked about that CT Backroads CT
1: Backroads yeah so it and was then, about and being, now a truck is annoying us isn't that weird ironic
0: it is ironic We, but you know what we patiently waited it out and he left we didn't go down there and
1: you know yell at him I hope he didn't want to use the bathroom because I wouldn't let him <laughs> <laughs> just kidding <laughs>
0: Um, so Alright, I wanna skip a little forward. You you eventually you were doing all these bands in San Diego and then you um after the cry Chronic readjustment yelling out. <laughs>
1: Chronic rhythmic yells. Chronic
0: rhythm after the after the cry. When did did you do other stuff in San Diego before you joined the 80s one hit wonder band
1: I'm trying to remember Um, no
0: so you're in the cry
1: and then all of a sudden you get this opportunity like how did that happen oh I know what happened I moved to London oh yeah you moved to London to be a squatter right I moved to London. I was going to a very prestigious college in San Diego that I shall remain unnamed. Really? Yeah. Anyways, and then I got a school transfer program to London. So it was kind of my way to get out of the suburbs, I guess. And now I'm in London pretending to go to college, but, you know, m- more there for the experience of busking on the subways and all that stuff. And I was really into Buffy, St. Marie, and Donovan, and, you know, thought I was a little folky guy. And, that's how the thing came about because when all the students went home I decided to stay in London and right just kind of
0: you were there for like a year and you were like I like this I was school. there for like four you're months on a, you're on an exchange student yeah program? I was, uh, is yeah, that exactly. why you can't say what college is? because you don't want
1: them to chase well, you down it, it's, it's because it wasn't a very prestigious college oh okay <laughs> so anyways <laughs> quick like that. I don't want my kids to be like oh dad went to that college like, okay When their mom went to some fancier college but um <sighs> Yeah, so long story short, after the exchange program ended, after like four months or whatever it was, I met some guy busking, you know, in the subway, and he's like, hey, mate, you want to live with me? And I'm like, sure, and we'll just go busking together. and We were kind of a team. Yeah. We busked together. Like I'd hold the hat, and we'd go straight on the Piccadilly line. Yeah. And then he would do his Beatles song that I can't even remember the name of, and then... I'd pass the hat and then I would do my song and then. What was your song? It's actually kind of a political song to be, to be honest. But, yeah. Uh, I can't play it because it's so pedantic. Uh, it was when I was writing very naive. Oh, you wrote your you know, own song, so you're in. Yeah. You're busking. You're doing your song. It's called "Lady, Please Come Home," and "Lady" was a metaphor for you know. I don't want to sound totally cheesy, but it was like a metaphor for peace. You know what I mean? So it was, okay. it was like.
2: It was like The sun
1: as to me it was kind of very um, protesty, folky. Okay, cool. But um, do you make tons of tons of um, half pounds and pence? We did make uh, a living busking on the subway, and you know, clowns would come around the corner and yell at us because we stole their pitch, and it was it was pretty funny. You know, mimes would come to us, and the only time they would speak was they would break their mimeness to like yell at us for stealing their. Their, their, territory. their territory on the subway
0: on the two it's kind of funny yeah. that's amazing so
1: but then the, the, wow. the one hit wonder band thing came because I basically got a little discouraged of busking and working at Camden Market which I did selling Levi's and and I was living in a squat and I was like oh man I should probably make some money somehow so so like what's it like living in a squat
0: in the I guess this is the 80's right in London um late 80s early 90s right um so it's like you're you're living there for free like people yeah, are was, just occupying a building i think a lot of people don't realize that like this is a thing that people used to do for real yeah. you could legitimately go and like a bunch of i don't know a bunch of counterculture types would just like occupy a building and you would live there on a mattress or whatever
1: and like well, the government couldn't the city couldn't really chase you out right the, the, well, it killed two birds with one with one stone because it, it was a way to, to overlook bureaucracy and red tape in a lot of ways. Because yeah. the government wanted to provide housing, you know, for homeless so, people or, or people you know struggling whatever. I mean, yeah. one of one this of is our
0: an, this is the English government. That's why it seems yeah. so foreign
1: to us as Americans, right? And what they would do is they would turn a blind eye because they're right. they're like okay, in turning a blind eye and letting these people occupy houses that aren't being used, right? We're providing housing right but you know if they sanctioned it and the beam fell on someone's head then right they'd, then they'd, they'd sued liable. for millions of dollars makes so, sense. so i think that was the loophole of the squats but i mean we had like dentist students we had air force right was you know, like guys who were going to and... go into the, air, the english air force we had like uh it was all walks of life like a french guy and you know and actually ironically i think two of those people and the squat became really successful monetarily and now live in America. But
0: Oh, really? And, and was there like electricity and water and stuff? Was there plumbing? Yeah,
1: there was, there was water. We weren't the most environmentally, um, conscious squat because okay. you had to, there, there wasn't really a trash pickup, so I won't go into that, but yeah, there was uh, we would get our couches from whatever pub was out of business and you're
0: basically you know. living like, um, the young ones. Remember that show?
1: Yeah. It was like that. Exactly. And, um, not exactly a little bit different they, yeah. you know of course because we weren't the young ones which are <laughs> way cooler than us but, um my friends from san diego were, were in a band called the god machine oh, and yeah. they they kind of had they had the squat way before i did and i kind of leached onto their squatness right so i was like hey i need a place to live and they're like well we got to have a house meeting you know because whenever we let someone in we have the so it was like a it.
0: fully organized thing like
1: yeah and then yeah. you'd have to clean the bath after you took a bath you know what okay. i mean so there are rules someone had a dinner night you know so you, okay one one of us would it kind of
0: sounds like a communal dorm experience like i had you know
1: yeah that's the closest thing college. i had to a college experience yeah to be honest it was my yeah and then you know i learned how to cook a little bit from that because yeah. we all had our own night where we had to cook and i learned someone else's thing and wow so that how'd song. you get involved in modern English? I'm just gonna say
0: it man, I know you're trying oh. to be secretive about it. Ooh. You mean, in- you mean the English beat? No, not just the English kidding. beat. Just modern kidding. English. You mean flock of seagulls? Modern English.
1: I, don't um, know. I can't play that song, but yeah, a lot of people they they it's funny, I'll, I'll go to a party and someone will say, Yeah, he played in the English beat or he played in Flock of Seagulls. It's funny, always people always forget the name, but um that was a very small period of my life that 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 was kind of fun and um at a young age i was i was fortunate to have that that experience of a hired gun and tell me quickly how that happened you got
0: you started playing with modern english they had the song i'll stop the world melt with you yeah i was
1: i was like just sleepless one night or a few nights in a row in the squat and like i'm a loser i'm 21 i don't know what i'm doing with my life and um and I was tired of like working in Camden Market, and I and so I, I picked up the Melody Maker, and I saw an ad that said, "No foot on the monitor, guitarists wanted hard work," and that sounded like a sure thing to me. I'm like, "Oh, they already got their, you know, they already got their stuff together." So right, it wasn't. I just got to come band. in and make money, and this is awesome. <laughs> but it was a really long process because I had to borrow my friend's guitar because I didn't have my own electric guitar because right. I was a folkie. Remember? Yeah. So i only had acoustic guitars and harmonica holders right and funny black hats right and um so what electric guitar did you use for the audition i use like a e335 epiphone right which i now have a gibson yeah 345 stereo of that but nice so moving up dude long story short i went to their their house or whatever actually i went to their house after i got invited to but the first step was kind of them filtering out people, and that's a story in itself I'll tell you some other time, because okay. it's kind of a long story. But um, basically, when I first met them, I came with all my guitars and everything, and they kind of laughed at me, because they were just like screening people, right? so there was no music involved. They the wanted first to see day. what you looked like, I guess. Yeah, but I had no idea. Was. I was yeah. like, hey, I'm here with my two guitars, and it's a crowded pub, and they had already interviewed like 12 people right. and like they just kind of laughed at me and like <laughs> look at him. it was before cell phones so i had to call their house and talk to one of their wives or girlfriends wow and then they told me what they looked like and then i went up to them and they were just taking the piss like yeah a people do that yeah. on, on young american college students and then um they're like okay you could go now and i'm like well i'm here man i'm not going i'm having a beer yeah they're like what you're gonna sit with us I'm like yeah what you, do you own the pub I'm like you don't have to hire me as a guitarist but I'm like it's a I'll public hear. space and I think they were like whoa he, he's staying with me. he's not like just leaving yeah and then that's how I kind of
0: oh, that's cool so you kind of had some like bravado and they were like oh this guy's cocky
1: yeah nice. back then after a couple of beers it yeah always gave you a little courage
0: yeah so then you, do, you did that for a while and you like toured and stuff and kind of learned how to that must have been quite an education like at that moment just jump right into that world right
1: yeah it was fun I mean it was it was awesome having a guitar tech and you know being on a bus the bus the buses with every tour kept getting a little bit crappier and crappier yeah. along with the bus drivers you know like okay so you know they had a lot of money tour support at first from the new label and then as um, the record they're they're awesome guys yeah but I don't think the record sold as great as everyone thought it was going right. to
0: this was like a follow-up record. Like they had already made that big hit, and they were doing something different or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah,
1: and they they redid the song. Oh right, and, right. Um, but it was great hearing them do interviews, you know. Yeah. Because we'd all we'd be in our hotel room, and you know the main guys would go do the interview, and you'd hear like a college student in America be like, "So what's it like living?" Oh, sorry, they don't have accents. College Some college students. in America. Too. Um, they would be like, "So what's it like living in England?" And they'd be like well, you know, there's like castles and moats. And you know, it was pretty, you're funny. touring in America. And so these American yeah. journalists like are like,
0: wow, you live in, you know, you live in the, the Hobbit or something. Yeah. yeah, it <laughs> was funny. They, they, would,
1: they would just, they would just go there. Like, you know, that's hilarious. And give every stereotypical example of being English. But yeah, man. So when I met you, you were
0: in morning glories. And when did that start? Like you, well, you moved to New York at some point and you, formed this band
1: morning glories um yeah so 90 something, ninety two after or something. after the modern english thing um i got they wouldn't let me back into england because the customs guys they didn't wrap, really wrap their head around that i was a, an american playing with an english band and even though we were touring america and it was oh, wow. a, an american record company and so they sent me back home and they gave me three hours to get all my belongings holy shit
0: at the airport they're just like you're not coming back yeah
1: and they and they they, they held my passport they're like yeah three hours to get you're in england yeah and so at like one in the morning i was waking people up at the squat and they're like oh we don't have the squat anymore man you know like (laughs) we we got kicked out and so i'd have to track everyone down i'd get my guitar or like my four track and and i couldn't get everything but i woke people up in the middle of the night went back to heathrow and did you have
0: like a policeman with you, or they're just like, if you don't come back, you're in deep shit? Like, how does that work? You're basically being.
1: Uh, no, they just held your passport and assumed that you'd come combat, back. You're, you're being passport. um, what's the Deport, word? Like Deported. Deported. Refuse, yeah. Refused. Refused entry. Wow, yeah, refused entry. that's not. Right. And then uh, I came back, and then they're they're like, "Would you like to pay for your ticket back?" I'm like, "No, man, you crazy." But like, <laughs> sorry. They're it. like, "Sorry, we just had to ask." You know, I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> Very British. Yeah, but what the cool thing was, I sat behind. I sat right next to the guy who uh, he was the cartoonist for the Yellow Submarine. Oh, cartoonist. The the animator. Yeah. So, or he had something to do with it. So that was was kind of nice. But you know, they put you on last on the plane. They're like, this guy is kind of you know illegal. Illegal. Again, man, getting getting back to to
0: CT backroads, like this is what it was like to be. I know. This is like what it's like to be illegal right it's not probably not a good feeling you're probably like what were you kind of freaking out a little bit? i was
1: totally freaked out they yeah they put me in that and you know in the in the room where they probably knew these people are not gonna make it into the country right know? and back then people could smoke everywhere they're just yeah everyone's smoking and all it was just crazy they went through my diary and which basically had letters to my girlfriend at the time saying, I love London. I'm going to stay here forever. Hmm. And they're like, Hey, what is this It's crazy
0: make? that the record company or whoever was taking care of your, your flights and stuff didn't work this out ahead of time. It seems kind of
1: loose. Well, I was just like a session guy. So they were probably like, yeah, whatever. We'll get another guitar player. You know? <laughs> oh, shit. Um, okay. But they did try They They, they wanted me to come back through France and they're like, I'm like, will you pay my pay for my ticket? And they are like, no. I'm like, well, I was a little cocky. I was young, and I was like, I'm going to do my own thing in New York. Okay. So and you zip right back to New York then? Well, what happened, I didn't, I didn't really live in New York, but I, I think I came back to LAX, because that's where I flew out of. Yeah. And I was in San Diego, and then some friends of mine, I was like, hey, let's, let's play music. Let's move to London. I got this connection over there, and I live yeah. with this other band from... You know california that's doing their thing and they're they're getting write-ups and melody maker and enemy. who's that the god, god machine? machine yeah and so it was all a bit inspiring you know and then we're like all right let's take a little car to new york and then we'll fly out of new york and but
0: weren't you worried that the, the same thing would happen again once you got to london the second time like don't yeah
1: play. what happened was the <laughs> bass player for that band this is like the genesis of Morning Glories. Yeah, Nick um, Palumbo. He yeah. he got refused admission too. So we we arrived in New York City, New Year's, and everyone got a little bit out of control. <laughs> and Nick flew over to England, and I was gonna wait till because I was still talking to Modern English, and they were gonna try to help me get right working paper papers. There's some talk about that. So I'm like, I'll you know when my ticket comes through and my papers, then I'll I'll meet you over in London. But then Nick. Call me like a few hours later or the next day he's like hey man i didn't they wouldn't let me in either so so i'm like i think it was him he was just like why don't we just do our own thing in new york like you know and i was like all right you guys were, i mean it's amazing
0: like at that point
1: in life where it's like
0: i mean people don't really realize what it's like to just be you're not findable like you're just full on on your own like there's no phone you know i mean mean, you're probably in touch with your parents and stuff but it's like oh i was gonna go to england and live but i guess i won't i guess i'll go to america
1: exactly (laughs) it's pretty gnarly i mean it was like new york it was a split decision he was was on the phone he's like hey i know someone in astoria we'd stay in her apartment why don't we just you know get jobs in new york city and yeah try our band in new york city i was like all right and you guys had
0: already been playing together and um San Diego a little bit. Or yeah, yeah. We, we
1: we grew, we were, lived on the beach right next to each other in Mission Beach, and we both surfed and would take surf trips to Mexico, and we were more surf friends. And then when I came back, you know, yeah, playing in that in the band, and we had this idea let's let's do our own thing in in England, and so we got a band together, and and then we the drummer we didn't really have locked down yet, or he was going. Wait, but be, you're in New York yeah now we're in new york but we didn't really have a drummer and we told him hey we're not going to england we're going to do new york and he wasn't very happy about that who's that his name was david oh a different drummer okay yeah and then but eventually we convinced him into it and he came out to the big apple and morning glory started (laughs)
0: Nick on bass and you guys had made a record that was really cool that I loved I saw you play one time at Brownies and Kenny was your drummer Kenny Saddleson right. so I guess that was like fast forward a little bit you, you put out a record on Cargo which was a San Diego label Pet yeah banner.
1: right 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 yeah so Dave the drummer he only he is a San Diego guy but he only made it we did one EP with Shimmy Disc Cocoa Pop oh which yeah which is Kramer Kramer yeah and that's a funny story in itself, but we won't go there. Um, I have
0: a funny story about Kramer, too.
1: Yeah, and then uh, go for it, man. Anyone so like- I, I sent
0: him a seven-inch that I had made, or I sent him a four-track tape when I first got to New York. I was trying to get a record deal, and I sent him a four-track. I don't know why. I was like, this is a label. I think I looked in like the phone book at labels in New York, Shimmy Disc, or I liked Bongwater. That was the band he yeah. had. Sent him a cassette, and I got a really nice letter I like what you're doing. You could record with me at my studio. I can't. He's like, call me. And it has his phone number on it, probably without an area code back then. You know, it's (laughs) like everyone's 212, you know, whatever. And so I called him and uh, he said, I think what you're doing is really cool, but I can't. I don't really like put out records anymore, but I'll record you in my studio for free. And I was such an idiot. I was like, I can't. And I had no money. So I was like, sorry, I can't. I can't do that. So I passed on it. I'm That's so bummed I passed on that. <laughs> he offered me to record for free in his studio. I'm so annoyed that I didn't do that. Anyway, youth. <laughs> well,
1: that kind of that happened to us because I think we knew his babysitter. Yeah. And uh, we got it. You know, he heard our demo, which is also recorded on a four track. And then we went over there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they basically said, we want to put your EP out. And yeah. then we got there. And he's like, all oh, right. So you guys uh, bring tape right I'm like what right. oh, oh he's like oh you're not paying me I'm like no we're one of the bands you're gonna put out on your label he's like oh okay yeah sure yeah right all right why don't you hang out with this engineer guy for six hours and I'll come in a little bit and right watch these Russ Meyer films and <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll guess I'll buy you guys a pizza you know that's cool that's
0: hey, how it happened
1: so then you did that and then you then you got connected
0: with Cargo and that that was a San Diego label which is like how I saw you because I went to this show you did at Brownies and it was all Cargo bands it was um. I think it was like Uncle Joe's Big Old Driver and Creedle, or I forget, a bunch of people played, that were San Diego bands that I knew from San Diego, and then you guys played, and you were there, and it was awesome.
1: It's so I weird played. that you're saying you guys, because you, you, <laughs> the you were the, the band bass player for yeah, Morning Glories.
0: Right, I eventually
1: it straight-faced. Squeezed my way into the I'm trying band. To, yeah. Trying to keep it professional. Man. Keep
0: it pro, man. No, but it's definitely part of, the, I mean, yeah, so I saw your band, it was awesome, and Nick, I guess, didn't want to do it anymore, and then he bailed, and I weaseled my way into morning glories something like that because yeah. <laughs> I was working at a coffee shop with Kenny the drummer yeah coincidentally before yeah, I saw you and that's kind of when
1: guys. I knew, met you and then yeah uh, we had that apartment and yeah and, but uh that's yeah great. we did a lot of touring you know before you came along we didn't really tour the Europe much and then we were mostly doing a lot of you know America touring which kind of put a little stress on the band
0: well, touring in America is really hard, and that's one of the things that I like to talk about with people who have been musicians. Just how different it is. Like, it's just a lot easier in Europe. I feel like, don't you? I mean, you you've done a lot of touring in Europe subsequently, and yet
1: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could go to the outer reaches of Europe more. Like, it it right. seems most of it seems to be concentrated in Switzerland and Germany. But, um, yeah, I think I think they're less ageist in in Europe. You know what I mean? I don't think they have those. Oh yeah, that's. I true. think America, they like everything packaged in a nice, young, pretty package. Probably,
0: I got a pretty package for you, America. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so so we then should start a boy band, man. Like, <laughs> totally, but not be a, the boys. Like we should write a the man music, band, <laughs> a man band, but write the music for for a boy band. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great idea. Like, that's what, get like
0: I think that's what people our age do. If get want kids to make with money. tattoos and pit bulls. Yeah.
1: from Bushwick, and just have them, you know. That's
0: a fucking great idea. Let's do it. But so, like back then, so you were talking about these New York, these Europe tours. So this big epic tour that we went on in, was it '98? I don't know, man. With Fetus opening for Fetus because you had a so, we, uh, Morning Glory's got a deal with like Warner Brothers or something. Wasn't that what? It was. Happened? It was a
1: Radar Records, which was a yeah. subsidiary of like an imprint of Warner Brothers, and it, Radar used to put out Elvis Costello records back in the day and then it went defunct and okay. then someone was trying to resurface it okay and then that's how i don't I know, know i i learned a bit about the music business like being signed a few different labels and some big some small and it it's kind of funny when you, know, when you find out like why you got a record deal sometimes right. sometimes you find out you, you got fit to, into a slot that somebody wants you it's to a tax write-off or something you yeah. know what i mean or like they they need to justify having a label so they need to spend 20 grand on someone you know
0: yeah so from my perspective I just remember you saying like we had just started I think we were just playing together for like a year or something and you're like and I had a job that I really liked it was like the first real job that I liked I was working at this company called Voyager which is part of like Criterion Records and you're like we're gonna go on tour for I don't know a month and a half opening for Fetus are you in and that was like my big moment I was like fuck yeah I'm doing it and I had to quit my job and go on the tour awesome. that was an amazing tour man man yeah, that was fun I that wanna get
2: out of these tattoos
0: that's how we got to know Fetus I mean I guess you knew him Jim Thorwell,
1: and all those characters I didn't know him I didn't know him that well I mean I just I used to drink at the Mars bar and um, yeah and so did he and then you know the Unsane and all these other bands and Bark Market and Cop Shoot Cop and yeah. just a lot of a lot of people and, um cause we'd go there you know between sets at CB's, and I think we both had songs on the jukebox uh, like JG had you know a fetus record on there he just put out a Sony record I think and uh, I had my little first solo record on there and then and no no it was a morning glory it, was no, it fully was more, loaded
0: it was before the solo thing yeah, yeah fully was, loaded so which was like such a cool record and it had like this twangy it was really it's own thing like three piece really aggressive like really bluesy and like I think Jim it's weird I was listening to fetus recently and like he was basically at the at that time like this drunk elvis like like industrial elvis dude like he was terrifying super aggressive but i could see why he thought it would work and it was a cool like we went on this crazy tour that was through the hinterlands of europe everywhere all the big and small cities and it was an amazing experience we were in a huge tour bus and there were 13 people in the tour bus including fetus and we just had our little three piece yeah it was awesome outfit and Played in all these crazy places, and it was definitely an eye opener for everybody. And got to know all these great musicians, Jim and all in the gang. It was super yeah, fun. Yeah,
1: it was, it was a good time. And there's unhomogenized beer.
0: What's that? Un- oh, unpasteurized. Or oh yeah, what? sorry, unpasteurized. Unpasteurized I guess you beer. Homogenized <laughs> <beer.
2: laughs> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Sorry. That's is so that what apologize. you remember? Is that what you remember? Oh, from I remember that tour? like I'm like why. <laughs>
1: Because I remember drinking during the day the beer. I'm be like, man, I'm always so full from this beer. And then I think it was because it was unpasteurized. Unpasteurized. Okay. <laughs> yeah, those are good times. For- Now, now, when you go on tour in Europe, you, you like go to a museum instead of just drinking in the tour bus all day. You're like, oh, maybe I should check out this, uh, yeah, Prague and see what it has to offer. Well, I tried to do some of that on that tour, but there was
0: a lot of drinking. But I mean, this this might be a good time to just bring up the fact that like you don't drink anymore, and like you got sober after that tour and mm-hmm. shortly, not that well, actually, not quite right after that. Then we started doing this solo record, or you started you started. Going more in like an alt country direction and writing your own solo stuff, which you'd been doing for a long time, but you started writing it, writing more of those kind of songs and gravitating towards like a kind of back to your folk thing, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think like the alt country thing happened. I mean, I hate using that term alt country, but I think I was getting into the Stones now, you know. So like, yeah, I think the the natural evolution of the Stones kind of just the fact that they use open tunings and multiple guitar players and, you know, session piano players yeah, like like that, their music kind of like, let it bleed all that. Like it, it got into a little bit of that. And then when you're American and you start playing music like that, then in the nineties or the two thousands, people, have to call it alt country right. you know, which is I totally understand and that's what it was but. I guess
0: that's true because it was like the only people who did it was like Uncle Tupelo and then everyone else who came along it just became yeah alt country
1: yeah yeah but I was really into their <clears throat> open tunings and, and but I, yeah. I was already a finger picker like like I, I right. had, and so like Morning Glories it was just like loud abrasive because it was a three
0: piece so it was con- drum guitar bass so you're doing all the guitar playing and you're playing it really loud and that was kind of the
1: yeah and then the, the, thing. the environment yeah. Influence our sound because we were hanging out with these other bands that were right. loud, loud and yeah. you know abrasive and and just living in the city was kind of uncomfortable, which I think lent itself to that music a little bit as well. And and then um and it was he, just
0: super fun to play really fucking loud music like when you're twenty something, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but, it was good, and we, but there was always like a couple twangy songs yeah. on the Morning Glory record. So totally. then I guess I just wanted to do that more and. <clears throat> Um, not scream my head off all the time. So I gave a little demo tape to Eric at Cargo Records, and I and I kind of fronted that I had all these other labels interested in it. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'll give you first crack at this. You know, but yeah. I, I didn't have any other labels interested. That's great. That's how you gotta do it, that. That's how it happened. But cool.
2: Once I'm gone, you can call me. Throw them flowers on my place. Once I'm gone, there'll be no more sorrow. Only smiles upon my face.
0: So he put out your first like solo thing, which was called Twenty Nine Over Me, right, on Cargo. And it was a really beautiful record.
1: Yeah. It was cool. Actually, we helped record it. No,
0: that record was called Sincerity's. Sorry, Sincerity's ground. Yeah. So, like, we. Um, you guys remember, played on it. Yeah. yeah, I remember recording. It was like, from my perspective, it was like I'm in a band with Christian, but we're going to do this other thing that's not a band, but it's going to be the same people. <laughs> and every song was a song. hit. And every song was a hit. Right. After we, every song,
1: whenever we, whenever we'd roll the roll the tape, I'd be like, this song's a hit. Yeah. And yes. then. Uh, it was pretty funny it right? was
0: really cool and then like so it was the same people but it was like your solo project so it was a different vibe and then you started bringing in other players and like filling it out with other guitars and I think I switched to guitar and a bass
1: player Lance oh, yeah and then we Peter and on piano that was cool yeah those are good those are good times the Luna Lounge shows
0: so like it's just so weird like going back I know we're getting super nostalgic but it's so funny to think back of like those days where there was a music industry and there was a buzz and there was people coming to the luna lounge like in suits and stuff like industry dudes come in and check you out and you look in the audience and there's like all your friends or people you kind of knew or just young people and then a couple of dudes that are clearly from a record label you know yeah, like I, mean? I, <laughs> I remember so even
1: back then we were like we were covering life on mars by bowie yeah and, that was fun. And a, i forget what year it was but we were doing that song and i remember um one of those music executive people who shall remain unnamed like turned to my manager at the time and was like so when do you write this song <laughs> or, what's this song who does this song and I was like dude it's David Bowie man. yeah food for
2: plans oh food for plans from crib to grave I'm crawling back cashing in all my advance
0: But so yeah. you had these managers from your time in LA you're, or from San Diego and they were really pushing hard for a deal right?
2: yeah
1: they were working for you that was the time of answering machines and uh, I lived across the street from the mobile station in Mars Bar at the time and I remember I'd get these messages from A&R people but I was kind of already jaded by A&R people because I'd been taken to, out to dinner a few times yeah and they'd always talk about a demo deal and I was just like whatever and it would never materialize so Right. I think the guy from Atlantic left a message, um, Eve Bouvet, and I was just like ignored it because I was yeah. like, it's just some guy who wants to write off his dinner and right. promise you a demo deal of three thousand dollars and never give it to you. Yeah. But then he ended up being sincere and I just at that point handed it off to the the manager guys and that's how it kinda happened. All. I've had
2: it all before
0: then we're practicing for a recording date in la and all this very exciting shit was happening back then i remember it. i mean from my perspective because i was like in the band so i was like all of a sudden christian's got a deal we're gonna do some shit we're gonna go to la and make a record
1: it's yeah it was fun atlantic and the managers would come to rehearsal and they'd be like wearing hush puppies or something and then they'd see our engineer boots you know like and our plaid shirts and then the next day they'd show up and, with engineer boots god. and plaid shirts oh my
0: god <laughs> dude
1: it was all fun
0: i mean they brought they were i remember they brought us an envelope with money in it first time ever like gotten like a, it was like a paycheck for being in a band know, you remember that
1: yeah i think <laughs> i think the showcase was that night and so they had a little incentive for everyone yeah which was awesome
0: It was. It was super fun, and we went to LA and we made this record. And uh, we had this producer, Paul Fox, who made the record. Are we allowed to talk about that? Sure. (laughs) Can I tell my perspective of it? Uh, Yeah. I don't want to talk. I mean, I don't want to bum you out, but it was a little freaky. (laughs) You know, it got a little weird, man. Paul Fox. I don't know whatever happened to him. I wish him well, but it was hard. There were some weird things that happened in that like recording what, session. Like the bass off? The bass off, where I had to play bass. So <laughs> you I You and the Lance bass had player. an audition for, every, for who yeah, was going to so play bass. Man. I had been the bass player, and then this other guy, um, our good friend Lance, was subsequently the bass player, and I became the guitar player. Then when we went to this recording date in L.A., Paul Fox, the producer, kind of caught wind of that, and he said, let's have an audition on every song to see who plays bass better. <laughs> so he made yeah. us audition against each other and he took Lance off half the songs of bass and put me on it and took me off half the songs of guitar and it was just a crazy like full major label experience I know but, but it was awesome Christian I don't want you to think I'm complaining it was really fun man it was so
1: cool hindsight's 2020. I mean if
0: it was a dream dude it was awesome when was you're in great.
1: your 20s and people throw a lot of money at you like yeah they the, the catch line that they use yeah it's like hey man my name's going on this record too Right. So they make it not about the money and the pressure of the money, but they make it like this artistic thing, like why, you know, you got to have a bass off or, you know. Fire your drummer. Yeah, something like that.
2: <laughs> I know
0: it's tough, dude. It was a great experience, and then we went on tour with Everclear and John Cougar Mellencamp or John John Mellencamp.
1: Yeah, but we weren't really well. Everclear, we were kind of on tour with them. We I were guess. on yeah, tour with Everclear. Yeah, we were on tour with them. The John Cougar Mellencamp thing, or whatever his name is now, John Mellencamp? Mellencamp. What is it? I think it's just John Mellencamp. Yeah, JCM. <laughs> oh, whatever. Um, J C. Um, when we went on that tour, we were just playing in front of the concession stands, but it looked good on paper. And right. That was one of those situations where you learn. Oh, and Sunvolt, what The music that business was is all about.
0: Sunbolt was on that tour too. Yeah,
1: they were the proper. Openers. They were the
0: actual headliner
1: They're actually on stage with. Yeah. Opening on the same stage as John Mellencamp. Yeah.
0: We were at the Levi stage, which was the we were at the yeah. bathroom
1: stage. Yeah, as people come in and think about buying a John Cougar Mellencamp T-shirt. <laughs> they
0: hear us in the background playing yeah. our hearts out,
1: yeah, so it was it was weird, like like that's what happens with some of those to get the tour support, I remember it being rationalized by like, hey, by the management, like, hey, to get this big tour support you have guaranteed to you in your contract, you have to go on tour with a you know a name. Yeah, and the people at the label are never going to see you that you're not actually on the same stage as this name but yeah. I see so it's like a budget thing like here we're paying for this guy to be on the road yeah and they don't want you to just do club dates when you're kind of unknown which I, I would, would have much rather done which, which we
0: did with, with Everclear and that was really fun because we were playing more like clubs a big kind of big I don't know what you'd call them like, yeah, like thousand seaters thousand seaters that was super fun yeah. um, and you know and the Mellencamp experience was really fun too it was just bizarre it was so much fun though like it was just such a weird an awesome experience, <laughs> watching those guys how they operate. And I think the violin player, whoever it was, the one, this woman in the band, she was really nice. A couple people in the band were really nice.
1: You guys like hobnobbed more than I did. I was. We tried
0: would, to hobnob. We were persona non grata. We got
1: kicked out of the backstage area because. Jones Beach. We took all our friends to backstage. We used to have like the free massages, all the awesome food. Right. And then we took our whole posse to Jones beach from New York city. Oh, right. And we were both booked by William Morris at the time. And I think someone, John Cougar, Kemp's like tour managers, like, who are these guys anyways? Who are all these people? And they're like, Oh, they're part they're of the, the C Gibbs. Yeah.
2: And they're like, they're not allowed
1: backstage. They're not allowed. I remember we walked down the ramp from
0: like, I don't know where backstage. And like that was the only time I walked up to the, the the, the little guy. The little bastard, as they called him. And he, like, stared right at me. And I, like, was thinking about, like, you know, I walked right by him, like, a foot away. And I was thinking about, like, saying hi. I was sticking my hand out. And this, his vibe was so not cool. It was so uncool. I just, like, ooh. I got this chill in my bones. And I didn't even talk to him. That
1: was the only interaction ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I Ron know. Camp, I, I never I never such met Such
0: a weirdo. It was
1: weird. <laughs> well, the thing I remember is we were... um on a John Cougar Mellon Camp tour, when I think it was our 10th day playing and we were doing sound check, like, yeah, we always played like two football fields away from our right. John Cougar Mellon. I think we're or. in <laughs> Jersey, I think we're <laughs> yeah. in New Jersey.
0: I remember this, yeah, yeah, and At then I remember the giant his, stadium in New Jersey.
1: Guitar player, one of his guitar players, was talking to our front of house engineer, right? Guy, and he was like, Hey, man, did you guys play last night? You sound kind of familiar. <laughs> he's like after we've 10 been, days we've been on tour with you for like for 10 a, almost days. two weeks yeah
0: <laughs> that was one good story the other one I liked is our very first days when we go into the backstage or whatever At, like, it was like after the show we go to some backstage area and there's all these people sitting there there's all like these audience members there's like 50 audience members and they won a contest on the radio to meet John Mellencamp and it was after the show and we were, we're just back there because it's backstage and they're waiting They had a great time at the show, waiting, waiting, waiting. No Mellencamp. Some other guy shows up. One of the the guitar player, maybe the, I don't know, some other violin player. Waiting, waiting. 45 minutes goes by. Hour, hour and a half. Finally, they're like, sorry guys, he's not coming. He just didn't feel like it. And all these people who won the contest had to just fuck off because... The guy didn't feel like it. No. <laughs> he didn't feel like meeting his fans. Yeah,
1: no, bummer. Oh man. We really well, no one's his... perfect. I heard no I, one's perfect. I heard he writes some good songs. He just... does,
0: man. He he has like twenty five hits in a row, man, in his shows. Anyway, it's kind of interesting because like, I feel like we got squashed. You, us, maybe peripherally got squashed by the end of the record industry a little bit. Well, you know yeah. what I mean? <clears throat> like we're just. The internet came and just steamrolled the entire industry. I mean, and we gave it as good a shot as you could possibly give it, man. Like, you know, we're out there touring and you're making amazing records. We're recording. We're just giving it our blood, sweat and tears. And it just, you know, didn't quite click at that time. I mean, it did. I mean, it went really far, but along comes this thing called the internet, right? And it
1: changes everything, I would say, kind of. In some ways it was... A really auspicious moment for um, us because we got in right before that happened, yeah you know? exactly so, we're I'm I feel super lucky that we got all these experiences yeah and we got like little tiny record deals with you know or licensing deals with you know foreign record companies and then the Atlantic thing which I mean that happened they're handing out record deals like candy I think not right know the Simplified life seems strange.
2: I never could take my time on a cinnamon cracker day. Though the others would hold their heads and roll your eyes back again. Trying to pull themselves, gonna take my time. Throw it all, all away. Yeah.
0: I mean, listen, I, one thing I didn't say is like, we're at this amazing studio in LA. We're making this record, and like next door is Kiss, and I don't know uh, what's his name. Melissa Etheridge. Uh, Jacob Dylan was down the hall, and like all yeah. these people. So we got to experience like the full-on, massive like LA recording. Yeah, and the studio people, and experience. It was amazing. The people that played on the record were like Tower of Power and Mike Garson from David Bowie. Yeah, who played on Aladdin Sane. Like, so that record is out on Atlantic. It's called It's called Twenty Nine Over Me, and it's yeah, out there. People it's called, can. Yeah, Check the it C, out. the C Gibbs group, which is the,
1: the worst group. band name in the world, but it was still uh, yeah fun.
2: Yeah. All the ash away.
1: All the ash away. yeah, we we got to make we got to have that experience. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get propelled into or fortunately into stardom, you know. Which, but. We at least have that experience of giving it a good try you know what I mean and, totally and, and I think we still do it
0: because we love making music and absolutely you know. totally and then like to get that you know to have that experience and to, to get that kind of insight into how really big records are made and how everything kind of works is really like a valuable thing to to learn and still serves us well I'm sure and, and we've had to readjust the way we make music the way we we think about music
1: there's a trade off too like when someone's giving you a lot of money to make a record then there's expectations attached to that you know so like I personally like really enjoyed the creative period after not being on Atlantic and just being able to make any kind of genre of music that you wanted to or having you know an oompa loompa song on the same record as a, like a pop song as as a you know and yeah. being able to be diversified and not have these financial attachments or expectations and you Yeah, know. me too. I mean I I went on to do some
0: really cool fun stuff and you went on to do all these incredible records.
2: Here comes some moon song a moon song a moon song here comes a moon song, a moon song, a moon Sun and moon, sun, the moon, sun, the moon.
0: I know for you it's always a toss up like do you go by your own name do you go by C Gibbs or do you start a new band name a new band with a new name like how do you think about that what is what's the reason for that like you've had Lucinda Blackbear, um Motherwell Johnson I guess is that a band name or that's like a
1: project well I kind of I kind of wimped out with that name um I was gonna release a record under that name, Motherwell Johnson, but at the last minute, I was like, "C. Gibbs sings Motherwell Johnson," right? And kind of concept record, like it was mm-hmm. this fictitious character that yeah. I was covering his songs. But it, it was kind of, in hindsight, I probably would have rather just put the record out as Motherwell Johnson. It's it's just funny how things get categorized, and I think being obscure and not being hugely successful, you know, gives you the luxury of experimentation and kind of reinventing yourself, you know, so totally. that's, I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse because uh, I like having a lot of different bands and band names and releasing music. It's, it's, for me, it's more exciting. Like, Oh, I'm going to put this music under a totally different name and try something totally different. But at, for as much as I love doing that, there's many people that are like, Hey man, why, 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 why don't you just go by one name? You're like shooting yourself in the foot here. So, you know, I mean, Neil Young, he releases all his records under Neil Young because he's sold tons of records. It's mm-hmm. Neil Young. There's no reason for him to change his name. But, right. you know, that's that's a luxury we're afforded, I think, is by, that's a, true. by obscurity, I guess.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And it's got a way to kind of plow into a different musical direction, change but, the name, go somewhere different.
2: Cold damn trees, how do I get a hold?
0: record he arrived by helicopter it's it's it seems like a totally different way to construct songs it's built more around it seems like loops and grooves and stuff and not so much songwriting you've been a songwriter for a million years and like you're one of the best ones i can think of as far as structure like you really know how to write the shit out of a song that's for sure thanks man thank you it's like thank you but a proper you know it's a proper craft it's like verse chorus lyrics that go with the way the guitar sounds or the way the music sounds right i mean i'm saying this cuz i know you know the stuff like and you've been actually instrumental in me kind of learning about how to do that cuz it's like really good the way you do it but like and then you you're you're very handy with a bridge man like putting oh, a bridge in a song <laughs> people some people might not know what that is but like there's two part most songs nowadays on the radio have one part <laughs> Songwriters tend to go for a verse and a chorus and then if they're really crafty they throw a bridge in there which is the third part that kind of ties it all together but lyrically tells you something different that's how I would look at it yeah
1: I mean well the reason I did the He arrived by helicopter record is because like I'm really insecure actually with my lyrics like I don't look at myself as a great lyric writer like the, the songs that I do have where the lyrics I might think are pretty are average or good or whatever just came out of nowhere and I got lucky I feel you know but like I can't on on command like write good lyrics you know what I mean like I think you write really good witty lyrics but I I have a hard I I struggle with the lyrics so like the he arrived by helicopter record is almost like me not fighting that anymore Mm -hmm. and and just like you know what I love writing the music part, and I'm just gonna make this record that's primarily instrumental and with a couple songs with lyrics on it but yeah lyrics As you get older and you get more subtle, like I don't want to be sound like a use age as an excuse or anything, but you know, you there's a little bit less drama in your life. Which absolutely, I get that. So I can't just pretend to be in a dramatic period and write some crazy song. It has to kind of come from real experience, I guess. But I completely understand that. That's
0: like makes so much sense. Like I haven't written a song feel like in years i mean i write songs once in a while for like really specific little projects but um what i've always noticed about the way sometimes the way lyrics come out for you is um you're you've got music and you're drawn to it and you play it and then you're you're kind of mumbling nonsense stuff over it and then it feeds into a narrative that starts to show itself like over after tons and tons of repetition right,
1: um, right, right.
0: it's a really interesting way i was just reading jeff Tweedy's book. Have you read that book? Your I Tweety have. A, book? I've, I've read like five pages. He talks about how he writes and it's like that. And it reminded me of you. Cause he, he just mumbles. He gets his mumble lyrics and then keeps going back and then they reveal themselves. And I think tweedy has got some pretty great lyrics. I think you do too. And it's like, you might not know what the hell the song's about it until it kind of comes to you. Right. And it just shows itself.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it comes to you. And then like the record I'm working on right now, which I think is going to be a C Gibbs record. Um, Sometimes it it comes to you and Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I, I think is cool finish. about that
0: way of of writing a song is that you have the music, and so what your what comes out of your subconscious is fed by how the music sounds. Right? Yeah, exactly. The exactly phonetic, fed the by phonetics. the music. The phonetics come from the music, from yeah, the feeling I, of the music, and the and also the rhythm of the music.
1: And right? it feels like yeah. I mean, sometimes I I would love to just do a record with no words, and I know there's yeah. people out there that that do that. I've heard heard some great music. But I was
0: going to say, on your new record, you got this like one. You've got a couple things that sound like John Fahey to me. Like, have you gotten into John Fahey at all? Just like, yeah, yeah, I love
1: acoustic. The finger picking stuff is amazing. Yeah, I love John Fahey and Mississippi John Hurt and um, some of the Leo Kottke stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's also the same thing. It's like, oh, this is cool. If I do this solo guitar performance and I love get as it. get as much sound out of it as possible, I don't have to put lyrics on top of it. Yeah, it's, it's cool.
0: It's really nice to listen to. You're an amazing finger picker. Oh, uh, thanks, man. Thanks. I fake finger pick. I've never learned properly. I got to
1: figure it out someday. <laughs> Maybe when I turn 60 or something. Well, you, you know, you know more more Fancy chords and I do. I (laughs) I don't know, man. I know. uh, I need help with my fancy chords. Play a diminished chord. You know, diminished, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Just do this. Isn't that a diminished?
1: Uh, That might be an augmented. Oh,
0: maybe. What's this? That sounds like a diminished. Those are my fancy chords. That's the extent. Um. statue of trump naked and it was like in the middle of it was in like union square or something like that remember no, that i don't
1: even remember it was
0: that. right it was during the campaign it was before he got that elected. wasn't the one he paid for no with there his, was this horrifying his... statue of I mean, him I'm naked joking. but naked and uh it was like i forget and i think somebody might have made a balloon out of it or something Ugh. Ugh. Mm-hmm. anyway but, but my, yeah. my
1: family's not all you know, I mean, my family, all lefty liberal. No, I mean, most of them are the other way. So it, it's kind of interesting to, to go back for Christmas or yeah, you know, weddings and so talk much. to your Republican
0: friends or Republican family.
1: We, I mean, my dad's a libertarian. Yeah. so He, I mean, I, I totally recognize some of the principles of of libert, you know, being a libertarian. Um, you know, especially what does it mean to you? I mean there there is a lot of bureaucracy that is kind of annoying, you know, yeah. about government. At the same time I love the altruistic um conveniences of having a big bureaucracy. I mean, we can't pay for stuff, right, unless we have an overseeing body to kind of Administrate it. Administrate it. So I understand that, but I, I understand like, you know, people getting frustrated to have a certain license to do something. I mean, I, in my other business, there's so much administration and licensing required that it deters you from, from doing it. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, there's a, there's a set of systems put in place to kind of let big business be big business and small, small businesses have a hard time because they have to adhere to the same regulations that big businesses have to adhere to, you know, we don't have all the lawyers and
0: yeah i mean you're a small business owner
1: right thinking, right so i got off topic a little bit but no
0: no that makes sense man i but you know when you the, say the whole that,
1: financial when you say financially that, conservative and socially liberal thing i mean I, that's your family basically or your yeah i mean I, my my dad like he he'd probably tell you you know he voted republican even though he calls himself a libertarian but he is very socially or at least he used to be like, he was all down for all drugs being legal. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like 15 years ago. Yeah. Which, and his friends thought he was crazy. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I'm like, well, what about heroin? You don't mean heroin. He's like, yeah, let heroin be legal. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, I mean, like we come from Southern California and it was, it's a very conservative, there's a lot of really conservative pockets. I grew up in Orange County, which just turned Democrat for the first time this year in like 50 years. And so I think it's, it's like a tradition of, Wealthier people have lived there for years and years and have always voted Republican, and I think their kids, i.e., us, are seeing that um, that that doesn't quite work all the way around. Um, but when you go there, like, do you have conversations with your? Well, we used to, I
1: used to get on these email chains, you know, and yeah. um, I think my dad had some friends, and and my sister was on one, and it was about like their. Uh, the thread was about how you know, in uh, nineteen twenty-five, math classes in California, you know, used multiplication, and then nineteen sixty-five math classes, and basically it kept talking about the degradation of the Education. school system, and then mm-hmm. and then they're like, and in two thousand five they teach math in Spanish, and then like you know they're making a comment mm-hmm. on you know, bilingual, yeah. Ubiquity uh, right. in California. So, so I wrote as if that's. A I bad replied thing. and I was like, yeah. "Hey, man, they were speaking Spanish <laughs> before, before you your got first hit. example. You know, like eighteen yeah. something until we stole it from them. Right? You know, right? Until so, we, until we stole it in California right. from Mexico, and that caused a big uproar in my family. And what are you talking about? And One of my dad's friends was like, luckily my wife, like I said, has much more. Um, her history is pretty. Her knowledge of history is awesome, so as I'm writing an email, I'll go, Andy, she what, can happen? fact check. what happened again? <laughs> how how'd we, how yeah. do we um, get Texas? And she's like, oh, you know, it was during the, the Polk, Polk administration, the Rio right. Grande. And and then I would just kind of get me spars with these Republicans who were my dad's friends, and then it would get kind of heated, and then yeah. I just kind of stopped doing that. I was like, I'd rather write a song or something. Right. Well, it's
0: nice if you can do it and not... Um not getting entangled in some kind of emotional thing that happens with me and my my dad and his friends my dad's a kind of a weird weirdly conservative i don't really understand his politics at all but he's a french guy who's somehow conservative in a weird way but it's mostly because he grew up in morocco and he thinks he knows everything about muslims because he grew up in a muslim country right yeah. And so he'll send out weird stuff and I just write I take a really long time write out really careful emails and I write I send I reply to all cuz he'll send it to all his friends and then they secretly write back to me saying we agree
2: with you. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ne- good.
1: <laughs> I've never had uh any of my dad's friends uh, agree with me. But they I mean some of them are, are great people. I mean, I think Well, you did something.
0: Uh, this actually can lead into another thing you did. You got involved in um passing strangers broadway play that definitely has like a political edge to it i would say and it was can you talk about that project it was a really cool uh play that you were involved in
1: yeah that was that was that was great um i kind of knew um the director via my wife mm-hmm. andy and you know she suggested you should get to know Stu and heidi they're these great songwriters from la and put my name in the hat to audition and then somehow I, I I got the part as the guitar player which was awesome because I was on tour at a Howard Johnson's freezing my butt off in Fargo with my van broken down when I got the news that I was going to be the guitar player for the Passing Strange Broadway thing and uh you know we did five days at the public theater after they had their run at the public theater and it was more for like producer people Mm-hmm. and So I did those five days there, which I got to know the material, and Stu and Heidi, and the rest of the band, the cast, and everything, and, like, Coleman Domingo, he's on, if Bill Street could talk right now, he's in that movie, and a lot of the cast have gone on to do great things, Um, but anyways, the show was, was
0: great, man, it was, yeah, and it was,
1: it, it, it was weird being, you know, like, I'm a white privileged male, and the show's, Definitely not about white privileged males. So it was it was awesome. I'll explain a little bit what it's about. So it's Stu who's and yeah, Stu and a, who are musicians. I mean, I don't want to paraphrase anyone the wrong way because it's not my experience, but um yeah, Stu's, you know, a black guy from LA and it was pretty much about his life story. And um, you know, I think he took a lot of liberties. It's not all non fiction, of course, but um It was great to have like a front row seat to you know the story about identity mostly i think you know like growing up in la and the cool thing about that show is the band was on stage
0: so you were in the band and you were on stage uh i think it was like one of the first times like that that was done in broadway it was a rock band that was part of the show right and it was on the stage and you were in the cast basically
1: yeah I, i always joke that um you might recognize me if I walk into the room backwards because uh, the back of my head was facing the audience the whole Oh, time. really? Yeah, but it was, it was still cool. you know. You yeah. Got to, got to showcase my hair. It was awesome. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, we were on stage halfway, and, and it was kind of funny. They had these pods that went up and down. Yeah. And like a couple times, it, mine didn't go down. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Spinal Tap Hold or something. Spinal like, Tap. So people would have to watch like 30 minutes of the play with me like, sitting on stage in front of the it was funny man but that was been so cool to be on broadway and like just to see how it all works
0: and like be in a show and
1: oh yeah we met like some great people man like denzel washington and and james lipton would come with um dave Chappelle. oh really a a couple times and that is
0: a weird pair right there why were they together
1: (laughs) and like tony morrison and so it was awesome because we'd be in the dressing room and they'd be like Tony Morrison would like to meet you in the green room. And so we'd all go down. And nice. Of course, they didn't really want to talk to me. They wanted to talk to the cast and right. Stu and Heidi. And, um, but I would just kind of peek my they head. They just wanted to touch your hair. I would get a handshake or something. Yeah. I, I told to- Tony Morrison, because I read a couple of her books. Yeah. I'm like, I read oh, I read this book. She's like, you should read another one. You know, <laughs> and or, then Spike Lee filmed it, right? So there's a movie version of it. Yeah, That that was that was awesome Spike Lee was really nice and I, I still have a man purse that I got from the closing of, of the Spike Lee shoot which nice. he, he gave us all a man purse a little Nike nice you got a Buffalo Spike Soldiers. Lee Nike man purse wow Stu cool. has the same man purse Yeah. we all got them but I think me and him are the only people that kept them it's called a satchel it's a satchel. Yeah, a merce. It's called a merce. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny, because if me and Stu go to the same place... You're both wearing your satchels. And sometimes I take his home, you know. <laughs> He's like, dude, you took my my man purse. I'm like, <laughs> sorry.
0: It's the exact same one. All right, so Christian, I have a curveball to throw at you. What is your shittiest gig that you can think of?
1: Two stand out in my mind. But okay. Th- the first one, basically we were in Seattle when we were touring... Um, as a trio the morning glories and there's some band tension happening and there's also some tension with the booking agent person we had and the van broke down in california somewhere near fresno anyways we were stressed out we show up to the show in seattle and um the bass player leaves the stage and we, we he broke a string so we we thought he was going to come back but um, Kenny and me just kept playing, and I'm like, "Well, the bass player's not here, so why don't we do this folky song?" And you know, right? We would do like an acoustic version, drums and guitar. But it was never meant to be drums and guitar, right? And then we kept waiting for Nick to come back, and then he never came back. And we're like, <laughs> uh, "Where did where did the bass player go?" And they're like, "Oh, he went to the bar, and he's not coming back." So,
0: <laughs> you know, I have a memory that just popped in my head from when. We were on our big tour with like Fetus, and I was playing bass, and um we were super burnt. It was after like you know twenty days of playing straight or something, and we played some show. I forget where we were, somewhere in Germany or something, and I was so burnt and like probably hungover and just whatever that I sat down on the stage, started playing sitting down, and you came over and you kicked my ass. You like kicked me, and you're like, dude, and and this really stuck with me because it was a really great moment. You're like, dude, you have one hour of your fucking day where you have to like stand up and play music and these people paid to see you get your ass up <laughs> you said something like that and i was like oh my god you're so fucking right and I have, I have to get over myself and that has stuck with me ever since it's just like dude if you can't pull it together for an hour wow, just i don't even remember hang that. up your instrument and go home you know so that was cool
1: yeah that's cool i mean the hardest <laughs> the hardest show's that's cool man i I don't even remember, yeah, that, but I think you told me that once before, but yeah, it, it I wish I was up. that cool all the time, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm usually like the dude, I'm like, okay, I'll just whatever that guy's wearing a baseball hat, I said no baseball hats on stage, I'm gonna let it go.
0: <laughs> you did show some uh,
1: I sent my leadership, Co- I said Mike Mike Cohen home once though because he came to the show with flip flops, oh no fucking flip flops, come on, dude, <laughs> but so- uh i have one more can i say one more shitty sure show? Okay. absolutely i mean the the, the shitty shows are, are funner right. to talk about um so this is also in berlin and we don't even play in berlin that much but this happened to be in berlin and the actual show is good yeah we but it was this weird thing um where we played this really kind of this place called the battle house right in in midday it was a part of berlin uh, yeah and to get the show we had to make people dance (laughs) but we're we're kind of doing like mid-tempo songs as most of our songs and the lady is like if you don't make people dance you don't play tomorrow (laughs) and we're like okay so we learned a bunch of johnny cash songs and everything with like a yeah the snappy beat yeah and then and um somehow we made people dance which is awesome so the show was great and we got paid per how many people we had on stage so we had we our Berlins like, like oh right like Nico we we invited Nico from Berlin to to play with us and he oh yeah piano. yeah
0: yeah where they pay you per musician
1: yeah yeah that and happens
0: then, in France too where they're like how many people will be on stage and you're like why do you ask and they're like well that's because that, that's how much we'll pay you it's so bizarre
1: yeah and then it's Anton, only in Europe Anton was there okay Anton Swords so we were like hey Anton want to join us and we'll get paid more if you play with us nice and um it was so it was a fun night, but then where we stayed, the club looked super awesome. Yeah. But where we stayed was like in back of the club and they're like We're like, Really? We're supposed to stay here? You know, we're we used to like Switzerland yeah. accommodations and they're like I'm like, there's there's nowhere really to sleep. And yeah. and our we had a girl in the band, Kristen, who was the drummer and mm-hmm. she took the table and, the and table. Slept, slept on the middle oh, of the no. table and they had these like weird, weird scratchy army blankets. Oh God. And then like the bathroom light kept shocking everybody. And it was, <laughs> oh, it was shit. a squat. So we had to share the squat with other people that live there full time. Oh yeah. But the worst part was like, okay, you're ready to go to bed now. Yeah. And some bartender would let us in the back. He's like, once I let you in here, you, you don't, can't come out. You don't come out till <laughs> oh, 10 AM tomorrow. Oh, I'm like, God. what do you mean? It's like, <laughs> but they didn't want to give it us was keys. Locked, yeah. They didn't want us to come and go. So <laughs> we were stuck there and um, no one slept and it was cold and it was, it was a really bad show, oh, but we did play the next night. I feel like I might've played at that place and slept in that room. <laughs> it sounds so familiar. Um,
0: so I want to get a little serious uh, for a sec. So like you have all these songs, I mean you've written so many songs and they they kind of run the gamut of subjects, but I feel like, you like me. You get more inspired by things that are maybe a little darker and sadder. And like I don't know, I, I don't. You don't. Have, you have some really cool, happy songs, but your subject matter seems to be darker. I would say, is that right? And you've. I mean, you've been through some shit. Like you know, you've had death in your family, and what kind of things inspire you to write? I feel like you've written a lot of beautiful songs about your mother.
1: Yeah, I think I've, I, I kind of have used her as a. You know. Not used her, but I mean it's I've definitely drawn inspiration from that. Or it's more of a catharsis, I guess, like mm-hmm. to sound cheesy, but um you know, it's I think we're we're lucky in a way to have this outlet, you know, because there's other family members I have in my family don't necessarily have an outlet. Absolutely. To deal with the same childhood that we both experienced, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um so I've I've used it kind of selfishly to like, well, this is what I know and this is what I'm going to write about, um, because it's it's real to me. And sometimes I'm like, it'll be five years later. I'm like, really? I got to write about this subject again? Like this is crazy. Like, you you would think you would have got it out of your system, but then it's just kind of you know it's a raw nerve sometimes. So it's the easiest thing to write about. And there's new ways to look at it. I mean, everyone's got their their unique childhood and their unique trials and tribulations so I don't think I'm like special in any way because you know there's been like a a lot of suicide growing up in my family Um, and but I know other people have have experiences where their their dad died in the war or or their someone got hit by a bus or cancer you know what I mean like so I think what's important is just like the loss itself right And um, that took me a while to get used to. It was like the fact that it was like a lot of members of my family died of suicide freaked me out a little bit. Mm. And then once I realized, okay, you know, they died, it's it's, it's death itself. It it doesn't really necessarily have to be the medium and how they died that I need to like obsess on, you know?
0: Yeah. And it's about also transforming it into something that's helpful for you, but also just a beautiful piece of art out there in the world seems like it kind of i don't know kind of bounces things out a little bit yeah yeah and another thing i want to touch on is like you you know you you've gone through the process of being sober you've been sober for a long time 14 years or something i don't know it's a bit longer than that but uh if you don't want to talk about it that's no okay. no it's still totally cool. um but it's it's great and i and i you know i've seen you like pre and post so like i've seen how your songwriting has maybe changed and stuff and it's really interesting because it's probably a huge change for people to go through that. And it's a really positive thing in many ways. Cause you're just like so much more in touch with like how you tick. Right. I think that's part of what you have to do when you do that. Right. Yeah. I'm and okay. And I'm just, I'm rambling off these questions, but, The one song that you wrote, Here I Am, I just think that's like the most beautiful. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. such a beautiful uh, exploration of alcohol as a character, or or addiction is like a character in the song. You just nailed it with that song. Thank you. Yeah, so beautiful. And
2: I'll be your lover,
1: your true trusted friend. Those songs live because I'd love to. Do, we used to do that song um, more often. And we don't do it as much anymore. But that's another one of those songs where the lyrics kind of just—you know what I mean? I got lucky with that one, and mm-hmm. and uh, but it, you know, it's close to home. It was, it was because it's always there. Like you, I have other friends who don't drink or stop drinking, and you know, they say they're kind of cured or like they don't—they just don't have the temptation anymore, and. and I think with me, you know, I might not be doing something right, but I always have that temptation, you know, mm. like I, I always, it's always there a little bit and you're just mm. like, oh man, I wish I could just act out right now and kind of, mm. you know, especially on tour, like, right. you know, I mean, it gets easier definitely as with, with, but you know, it doesn't have to just be drugs or alcohol. It could be, you know, all, all, there's all types of temptation out there for even people who don't drink, you know?
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I'm tempted by fried chicken on a daily basis I
1: know (laughs) not to put it not to belittle
0: addiction but it's true no it's just so it's interesting because like that's another way where you turned this thing that's like such a tough subject
1: into a really beautiful uh, poem well because yeah I mean it's like your best friend you know like yeah this thing you get accustomed to it helping you in every situation in your life like talking to ladies or, um, you know, going on stage, you, it just gives you a little bit more bravado. And then all of a sudden this thing you had in your back pocket that you trusted kind of turns on you and then doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. And it becomes kind of like your enemy, you know? Right. And That's- so with my situation, I had to let the enemy go, you know, where you know, some people it doesn't get to that point where they, right. It, it, could, it It's like a, you know, it it still works for them or it's just for fun, you know. But it right. it got a little bit too intense, I think. For me. Man, it's it's really
0: it takes a lot of strength and you know, presence to figure that out and make it work. So congratulations to you, man. But you know I never got to drink a Zima. <laughs> Like I quit. I don't think, think you effect. miss but, much, dude. Did you ever drink any wine coolers when you were a yo, kid? Oh yeah, definitely. Basically I never the had same SEMA, shit, dude. Or I never SEMA.
1: had Jack's hard lemonade. You know, I never. You had that. did not miss anything, dude. And I never had the the hard one is Bullet. When I see oh that. Bullet Bourbon, oh my god! Like I don't think oh. that was around. Oh man, you so know like, what? It's
0: just basically glorified Jack Daniels, dude. You 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 pounded your share of Jack Daniels back in the <laughs> <yeah>. day. <laughs> You're not missing anything. That was more of a Jim Beam, <laughs> Jim Beam. Same
2: here is your podcast brought to you by somebody climbing a
0: mountain. You just released He Arrived by Helicopter on vinyl and uh, on all the usual channels, right? Mm-hmm. And do you have anything else coming out,
1: or do you have any shows coming up? I do not have any shows coming up. Like, winter time is a good time where I try to finish records. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to finish a, a record. I don't even know what band it's going to be called, but I'm leaning towards... A, Putting out out as a C Gibbs record, and it's a little bit out there. It's it's kind of got some heavy rock songs on it, and um, it's weird when you don't have someone over your shoulder telling you to finish your record because you could take too long finishing it. So that's what I'm. That's where I'm at right now.
0: Well, that actually brings up a subject that, which is that we kind of touched on, which is like how to release records and what to do with music these days. You know, in this time that we live in, where we're just Kind of doing it on our own, and there's so many ways to give it away for free, (laughs) or try to sell it. It's it's really confusing. Yeah, I mean, but you keep making awesome music, man. I'm fighting every
1: impulse to not come across as a a cranky old old man, but yeah, you've told me this yourself. I think it's important just to keep keep playing music, keep making it. Um, I don't know. It'll, It'll be it'll be weird to see people start writing. I mean, it already happened a little bit on SoundCloud, right? Like, people are writing 40-second songs and 52-second right. songs. And right. it's really interesting, you know, to see where music goes in the next few years. Do you think p- Trump's going to get impeached? <laughs> <laughs> Do I think Trump's a peach? Yeah. I think he he's more orange to me than a peach. Um, no, Trump impeached. <laughs> I, I the way we are in here in our household is like my wife will, will find some tidbit of news on Donald Trump and be all excited like oh oh my god he's going down now and and yeah. and and I'd, I I kind of get a little bit exasperated not with her but just with the fact that there's all these like hopeful moments right and then <laughs> He it's dish. an analogy it seems for like, the music industry. It seems like yeah, exactly. It seems like nothing ever happens. So part right. of me is, is is very cynical and like oh, yeah. whatever he's going to have the whole four years and and I think it's good with the, with, that the Democrats are finally approaching it unconventionally, right, with an unconventional president because. Well, there's actually. It just occurred to me there is a parallel between like
0: the music industry and politics, which is that nowadays you can just fund your favorite candidate. Like, go give five bucks to the person you like and forget about the normal channels. And it's like kind of the way we buy music now. I want that record, so I'm going to pay you know whatever for a stream. Or I want that. I just I'm going to subscribe to Spotify. It's like you don't have to give money to the Democratic Convention, Democratic National Committee. You can be like. That candidate in my local precinct is really cool, and they have a website where I can give three bucks, and right. then enough people do that, and then that person like could get elected. Do you know what I mean? It's more yeah, like yeah, no. it's
1: like an Indiegogo version of politics. Yeah, I mean it'll it'll be interesting to see. I'm I'm glad that Camila Harris is that her name? Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. I'm 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 glad she entered the race because I actually like a lot of what she says, and she seems to have some courage. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I don't, I get a little discouraged with, with politics and I definitely let it put me to sleep before I go to bed. Every night I read the New, New York, York Times the news and I, that's how I, you know, put myself off to a nice gentle slumber. Oh God, that's tough. That's <laughs> tough.
0: Well, let's just help our kids do the right thing. They're, they're the future. They're going to do well. They're going to keep playing music and, uh, You know, being feminists and maybe socialists or whatever, whatever you want them to be. All right, man, thank you for talking.
1: Thank you. New York City.
0: Thanks, Christian. Hey, rock. Later.
2: Later. 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 Later.
0: Later. All right, thanks for listening to my conversation with Christian Gibbs. I hope you enjoyed it. Go check out his music at his website, cgibbsreview.com. Go to my website, pierredoguion.com for all musical projects and things coming up and please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and check out all the other episodes. There's a bunch of other great stuff and some really good ones coming up. Meanwhile, our political situation continues to be complicated at best. Um, I would say in the toilet swirling around the drain, but we're working on it and not giving up hope and continue to Just hold out for common sense and compassion and doing the right thing. We need to get rid of all these corrupt people in office who are just hanging on to power any way they can through lies and deceit. You know who you are, you know who they are. So continue to put pressure on our Congress people, continue to vote, continue to be active um, and be involved with the causes that are trying to fix this mess. Sometimes you just have to take a break from the news, recharge your batteries, and then get back into the fight. I think it's going to work out eventually. In any case, at least we have lots of beautiful music to listen to. Hang in there, everybody. Au Au revoir.